What is heaven? As we ponder this idea, you know, I've read, honestly, I've read the Bible. I've read Revelation. I understand. It says heaven is like no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. I understand that. But what is heaven? I've read that it says that there's going to be gold streets and pearly gates and there's going to be emeralds all over. I understand it. But I really don't understand what heaven is because really, if we read, that's just a a revelation from one man explaining what he saw. I don't think he knew exactly what he saw and we can't make it really what it is unless it's our own personal place. What is heaven? The better question is, what is heaven on earth? What is it like to live with heaven on earth? Is it even possible? Where is heaven? Is it 50 trillion billion miles away? Is it behind the moon? Or is it behind that far galaxy we haven't found yet? Or is it really a spiritual place? Is it a place that we come to in a spiritual place that we find and realize that heaven is so close? I think scripture said that the first week. Well, I've heard and the idea of heaven for us is trying to find out what heaven is like on earth. What, are, what is it like? I don't know, but I heard that early in the morning, about 5.45 or 6, the sun comes up. I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. <laughs> a couple of you have been there. But in the morning, I don't know if you've ever been. When I was in uh, Nepal with my sister, we got up early to watch the sun rise over these mountains, and it was freezing. And when the sun came up, the earth started to cool. You know, heaven on earth is, is like watching the sunrise and feeling the warmth. For some, that could be heaven on earth. For some that aren't campers, more, they're more like a Ramada or a Hilton or something like that. But for many, that could be heaven on earth. How about this? I, I have a, a daughter that really loves weddings, right? I don't know. She's kind of weird. Since she was a kid, she's always loved the romantic part. What would heaven on earth look like? Looking at the expanse and looking out at the ocean as this backdrop. For some that want to get married for this couple, as they said that I do, as they look out and go, that's heaven on earth. That's beautiful. That's amazing. And it's endless. And that's how our love for God should be. Here's the last one. And it should be for all of us. What about heaven on earth just being a cup of Joe and Jesus? Opening up the word of God at a morning hour. Praying and worshiping and and really having God reveal himself to you through reading the word of God. Wouldn't that be heaven on earth? Couldn't you experience a spiritual moment with God? Well, we always ask these questions and we wonder, what can we learn about this? Today, we're going to go through a ton of information. But here's the thing. My friend Kate has built an app, and at the end of the year, we're going to really push this. But if you have an app, all the information is on there. And we're going to start really pushing this at the beginning of next year. You download Journey the Church uh, Camarillo, and you'll find in this app, it'll be really powerful. And there's a lot of information today. We're going to go through a lot. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't leave us hanging with this heaven on earth idea. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus starts teaching completely different. For the first few months and weeks, he's teaching one way. And all of a sudden, midway through his ministry on earth, he teaches and changes what we call the parabolic discord, which means he's just teaching in parables. And the parables separate the real believers, the ones sold out for Christ, and those that are basically false teachers, false believers, saying I believe but really don't believe. And that para- the parables really separate them. 
And here's what he says when we ask the idea, what is heaven like? And here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And he starts to explain what heaven would be like. And here's what it says. This is my favorite parable. uh, The first one I ever read and I didn't really understand it. But here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of seeds and it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. When I first read that, I'm like, yeah, that is cool. I have no idea what that means. But you know what? After reading it a couple times, I prayed, God, I want that little seed, whatever it means. And I want it to grow deep within me. And I want it to be a place where birds and people can rest and find shelter from this world. He continues on the next verse. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he gives this explanation. It's like yeast a woman uses to make bread. Even though she puts only a little bit of yeast in the three measures of flour, it permeates through our dough. Here's how God works. If you're open just a little bit, God wants to get through your head, your mind, your soul, your body, all of your corpuscles and red blood cells. And I don't know, I hated biology. So all that other stuff. And he wants to permeate every part of your body. And he wants to transform you. So he continues to go down a couple verses. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered in a hidden field. In his excitement, he did, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. The kingdom of heaven is like, I found this moment where I went to church, I went somewhere and it was so powerful. I felt like I was talking to God of the universe. He had this burning bush experience. And he says, I'm gonna hide this and I'm gonna come back and bring all my money and I'm gonna buy not only that little plot of land, but everything around it. I'm gonna own this. I'm going to sell everything I have. That's how valuable the kingdom of heaven is. And then he continues, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking out for a choice pearl. And when he discovers this pearl of great value, he sold everything he could to buy it. He sold everything he owned. When we have that mindset that the kingdom is so valuable that we're willing to give up everything, God doesn't mean that he's going to take everything. He just wants to see where your heart is. And he gives us some examples. We are doing this series called Heaven on Earth. And we're trying to experience what heaven on earth would look like. What does it look like to a human being? And really what I would think we should say, it's a spiritual place. If you remember in week one, we talked about being in the garden. And there was a moment where God and man and woman were walking mano y mano in this perfect relationship. And all of a sudden... The woman, we never talk about the woman because it's man's fault, but the woman made him eat it. Yeah, preach it, brother. Nobody, everybody's afraid. Don't say anything. Hopefully we see you again. (laughs) We better pray for this man, dear Lord. But if you remember at the end of Genesis chapter 3, I think it's verse 24 and 25, it says that at one point God says, hey, we can't keep them in the garden. And he takes them to a new place and he puts guards up and he says they can never come back into the garden because if they do, they'll be godlike. And so he ushers them out and all of a sudden there's a separation between God and man. And that's just a small place. It's a spiritual place. And then last week, Jeremy came up and he spoke on Isaiah chapter 11 and he talked about this stump being cut off. All of a sudden, God is separated and that there's going to be a time where there's a Savior going to come and through this dead stump, something new is going to grow out of it. Don't you sometimes feel in life that you're just dead? 
that you're separated and you're distant and all you need is a little bit of help to push through and start to grow again. I think God is going to do that to many of us today. I know he's done that to me. I believe today is going to be a holy message, so I put holy pants on. (laughs) Me and my friend over there got holy pants. We're twinsies. And I believe, honestly, I I, I like to joke around. I believe today's message is going to be powerful for many in this room. So if you're able to stand, let's stand. I'm going to recite a little bit of the uh, Lord's Prayer. And in that Lord's Prayer, our memory verse is, and we're going to use it. Now, here's the thing. I, uh, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to pray. And here's what I want you to do. For a moment, I just want you to think, Lord, I want something new to happen to me today. Change your atmosphere. Change your attitude. Change, change the mindset that you have. And just be open just for that little bit of seed or that little bit of yeast. And watch the Spirit of God just take over your life. The Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our memory verse. Let's pray. Father. We come before you and we ask that you boldly speak to our minds today, that you open up our hearts, that you create a shift inside of us, that we will experience you and understand you. Holy Spirit, take over this room. We know you're here. We prayed about it. We want it. And we ask you to move powerfully in us so that wherever there is brokenness in our mind, body, and soul, that you are filling it up. Wherever there's loss and unforgiveness and hate and discord that you will fix and right and, and make all the wrongs right in you, Lord Jesus. Take all of the brokenness, all of the pain, all of the agony and work boldly in us, Lord. Bring us a revelation, bring us transformation and ultimately many salvations because of you, Lord. We love you, King Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. So today we're talking about heaven comes down to earth and stays and dwells with us. He stays in this place that dwells with us. What is a dwelling? We talk about dwelling and it says that God wants to come and stay with us. Now, does Jesus here? No, Jesus is at the right hand of God. So he's not physically here, but he left something here to dwell with us and be with us like a best friend, like a mentor, like a a counselor, somebody that's there all day long saying, go this direction. Don't go there. Don't do that. But do this because this will glorify your father in heaven. Jesus isn't here, but he's coming back. And today's message is that he's here to stay, but he wants to dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the dwelling. What is a dwelling? For many of us, we see a single house dwelling, and this is probably someplace in the Midwest. To us, we're looking at it and like, ah, that's not very nice in California. But this is a dwelling. And uh, there's also something uh, in a third world country. This would be a high-priced dwelling. If you've ever been in a third world country, this is a lot of money. If you go to some houses in third world country, this is a high-priced dwelling. You see the one next door? It's not very nice because they didn't have the resources. The point is this, this is what a dwelling is, but here's what God wants you to understand, that you are a dwelling. The Bible says you are the temple, and in him is a place, in you is a place that he is residing. 
That's what he wants to do. Now, there's two misconceptions about Christmas and Jesus. Number one is this. A lot of times we have this, well, my, my Jesus is a Jewish carpenter, right? We, we've heard that before. We see it on bumper stickers. And for the most part, that's true. But the truth is, a carpenter or a carpentry might not include just woodworking. Now, I've been in Israel a couple times, and really, the type of carpentry that Jesus did was probably not wood. It was stone. Tecton is the word, the Greek word that they use, the type of carpentry. And if you go to Israel, there's a bunch of stone in Bethlehem and Nazareth. And I'll give you an example. Have you ever gone up the 118 to see me and gone by Rocky Peak? And you look at all those rocks out there. That's what Israel looks like in the area of Bethlehem and Nazareth. It's rocks everywhere. And so they used these resources to build houses. So in Jerusalem, Jesus was probably a carpenter, but he was probably a mason. And here's what a house in Jerusalem looks like. An old ancient house would be with rocks and mortar. And this is more like the carpentry that he is. So one of the misconceptions, though, he's a woodworker. Even in the, even in the, uh, the great movies that we see, we see Jesus woodworking. And the truth is, his dad and him were probably masonaries working with this because that was the number one resource that they had. The other misconception about Christmas is probably the most known scene in America is the nativity scene. When you think about the nativity scene, you see all these little wood structures, and in the wood structures, then you see this trough, this wood trough, and then you see all kinds of hay and animals. The truth is, the nativity scene, I think we have a picture of it, was probably a cave. When we've gone to Israel, we've actually walked in the places where Jesus' birth was, and where they laid in the manger, and what you do is you walk into this little area, and you duck down, and you go in, and it's a dark, cold cave. It's not a wood structure at all. This is actually a better rendition of what's happening here because you can see there's rocks on the wall. A lot of times today we've made it about wood and it's really what we would call, as if Jeremy was up here, it'd say, the social, economical, historical something, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> Some real intelligent words and he says, was probably not correct. <laughs> Truth is, the wood little structure is probably not correct. It's a cave. I, we've been to this place. It's called Shepherd's Field, and it probably looked like this. The actual manger, this is a place that we went to last time. And in this place, they would have this cave, and on one side, all the animals would stay. And if there was no other place to stay, they, the humans would stay on the other side. And they would use these rocks, and Jesus was probably in a, 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 a stone trough, not the wood one with the little baby Jesus. He was probably in a stone one with hay. But these are just misconceptions. Today, even though this goes against everything I just said, I want to use this wooden nativity scene. <laughs> Jeremy would say, even though this is not actually correct in the way the Word of God says, I want to show you Grandma's heirloom. This is worth millions of dollars that we got from uh, the Goodwill for 52 cents. But I want to use this image, and I don't want to use it as the nativity scene. I want you to be, this is you as a representation. This is the dwelling place that God has created. This is you. It's a wood structure, and if you realize this, it's not about you. It's what's in you that makes you valuable and worthy. And so throughout the message, we're going to use this structure to talk about the dwelling place. Now, today we're going to talk about Jesus staying here to dwell. And we're going to use a Christmas story, and we're going to fly through a bunch of scripture. And I'm going to try and get through it quicker than I did last service so we can get to the end, because I think the end has the most power. But here's the thing. The Christmas story always goes with baby Jesus comes, and he comes in a wrapped snuggle cloth, and all these great things, and angels, and all of that happen. But here's what we need to hear before. 
at some point, the Holy Spirit and God stopped communicating with the world for 400 plus years. For 400 years, there is silence. There's no more communication from God. Do you guys know what silence sounds like? Now take that 400 years out. You're not hearing God. And you know what? As I think about that, I realize, you know what? Many of our relationships with God have that same mindset. I don't really hear you, God. I don't feel you inside of me, Lord. I don't understand and I don't hear. I don't have this great, great, great connection. It's limited if non-existent. I believe, I don't believe in this church as much, but I believe in Christians all across our country that most people would say, I never hear God. I never feel God. And I don't have that deep connection that I want with God. I think we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit here. A lot of churches are afraid of it because it starts to convict. And I don't know if you've ever seen this. Have you ever seen someone get into church? Don't do this right now. If you leave and you have to go to the bathroom, wait about five minutes. We preach a Holy Spirit message and the Holy Spirit starts to move and people get uncomfortable and they leave because they start thinking about their sin and their life and their struggles and they don't want to leave. And so why many churches don't talk about it? I got to keep going. I got to get beyond this. So there's 400 years of silence and all of a sudden the last communication comes from the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, and here's what it says. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Why terrible? When Christ comes, it's going to be horrible for some because salvation changes. For those that reject Jesus, their salvation is going to be uh, null and void. It says, oh, he will restore the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to the father so that I will come and not smite the land with a curse. Now, this happened 400 B.C. And the Israelites are out of captivity and now we go silent. It goes dark. But in the, in the year before Jesus is born, the, the 12 months before Jesus is born, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts to move, and he starts to speak. And so I'm going to read through some of this really quick. I'm not going to try and spend as much time as last time. But what happens is, in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, tells the whole Christmas story. It tells the birth of, of, of John the Baptist and tells the birth of Jesus. But in the between, there's a bunch of people that are filled with the Spirit, and it's the first time God speaks to mankind again. It's the first time that heaven comes back to earth and starts communicating. We look at all these moments and God starts to speak. Luke chapter 1, the birth of John the Baptist is foretold. Zachary and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey the, words, the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children, and because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, they were both very old. And one day, Zachariah was told that he, it was his day to go before the sanctuary and go back in and light the incense. He goes in. And lights the incense, and it says, while Zachariah was in the sanctuary, the angel Lord appeared to him, standing right next to the incense of altar. And so here is our first encounter with God after 400 years. Luke chapter 1, verse 4 says, he was told he was going to have a son. And he kind of mocked it, I can't have a son, my wife's old and barren. And he says, because of that, you're not going to speak. But here's what he talked about the son. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He's talking about John the Baptist. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord, and he will never touch wine or alcohol. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the most important part, even before birth. Wouldn't it be cool that we were filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth so that we never had to be disconnected from God? But that's what John the Baptist did. And then many will turn, many will, 
And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. And he will be a man with spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn hearts of the father to their children. He will also cause those who are rebellious to accept godly wisdom. And so here, the Holy Spirit starts to speak. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a lot in the next few minutes. And then we go to Mary. Mary has this same type of Holy Spirit thing. And she goes... Forgive me, Lord, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I'm a virgin. How am I going to have a child? And here, once again, we see the Holy Spirit engaged. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and will be with power of the Most High and will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, will be holy, and will be called the Son of God. So now we've had communication where heaven has come on earth and meets man and woman and child and starts to prepare them. Mary, in this conversation, hears that her cousin Elizabeth is having a child. And so, verse 39, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town of uh, where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, John the Baptist, was in leaps within her. And Mary, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now listen, as uh, I'm a man, so I have no idea, but here's what I've heard. It's, if a woman eats something, the child also eats as well when they're pregnant, correct? I don't know. Is that the, what are you shaking your head? How do you know? <laughs> You're in trouble today, bro. I don't think you can't shake your head on that. So if the woman is filled with the spirit, then so is the child. The child leaps and the Holy Spirit is there and it's, it's powerfully working. Now, at the end of the story, Luke has 80 verses in it. And at the end, you see the Holy Spirit as John the Baptist is born. They take him before uh, a Jewish tradition is eight days later. They need to, they need to uh, ritualize him and circumcise him and make him right with God. And as they ask, what is this child's name? They say, let's name him Zachariah. And, and uh, Zachariah hasn't been able to speak the whole pregnancy and as he goes and says, what should we name him? He writes down John and instantly the Holy Spirit loosens his tongue and he starts to speak. And here's what happens. Then the father, Zachariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, gave this prophecy. After nine months of no talking, which is probably good for pregnancy, if men could shut up for nine months. <laughs> my wife would say if she could do that every year and shut up for nine months, our marriage would be really good. He's, he's, he's not talking for nine months, and now he's filled with the Spirit. And he says, praise God of Israel, because he has visited us. Now we see heaven coming to earth again after this silence. Verse 78, it says, because of God's mercy, the morning light of heaven is back with us. They understand that heaven is engaging and, and continuing to build us up. And John, it says, grew up in, in the spirit and was a powerful man and, and, and opened up the floodgates of heaven before, before Jesus came. Luke chapter 2 tells about Jesus being born and being put into this manger, which was a cave and not a wood structure. And he was wrapped in, in cloth, and then the shepherds were singing, and all these things were happening. And then eight days later, he has this same ritual that John the Baptist is. And there's two people that actually hear this Holy Spirit and are led there, uh, Simeon and Anna. And they prophesy, and the Holy Spirit communicates to them, this is the Messiah. And it's a really powerful moment. And the point of all of this is that the Holy Spirit is coming back to dwell with us, and he's sending a message. Jeremy talked about a kid. You know, as we were younger kids, we can't wait for Christmas, right? What's underneath it? And I used to look at every present and shake it, and occasionally my finger would absolutely rip the packaging a little bit. I was that kind of kid. And then you tape it back over and try and make sure. 
Well, the Holy Spirit seems very excited because it's coming back to stay. And it's starting to communicate. And it's starting to, to, to communicate to God and, or to people about what God's will is. The dwelling of the Holy Spirit is an awesome power. And we have that here in this room today. And probably this is the most important message for some Christian that doesn't really hear God. This is what we call the missing link. Have you ever seen the missing link book where there's this man and he's, there's ape and then there's this missing link and then it turns to man. They're waiting for the missing link. If we could find, there it is. If we can find Sasquatch, some of us look like this right now, but they're looking for the missing link and the Holy Spirit in most Christian walks is the missing link. There's a book by Francis Chan called The Forgotten God. A lot of times as Christians, we understand God the Father. We understand Jesus. Jesus is really easy to understand, but we don't understand the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to really dig into how the Holy Spirit dwells within our little wood structure that's not biblically correct. Because God wants to be in the middle. He wants to be in the middle of your life, and he wants to dwell deep within you. And if you're open to that, he will radically transform you. As Jesus was on earth, look at the power of the Holy Spirit and how he worked. Jesus was, the Holy Spirit was the empowering agent in Christ's earthly life. He was the focal point of the virgin birth. We just read that in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. He was the power of Christ's ministry. We see that in Matthew 12 and in Luke 4. He says that the Holy Spirit was upon him and he was powering Jesus as he was in ministry. And it also says in Romans 1 and in Romans 8, 11, that the power of the Holy Spirit was the thing that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. He was with him from the beginning, and he was with him at the end. And as he leaves, he stays with us. God sent his son into this world, born a virgin, and he actually also put him on the cross and died. And he came for 40 days, and then he left. But he left us something, which is Jesus, in spirit. And God and spirit, we call that the Holy Spirit, to dwell inside of us. Today I want to take this Christmas story and I want us to be led to this place of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I want to use this place, it's, it's a leadership epistle. And in the Bible we have three books that are called pastor's epistles. Leaders and pastors read these three books. It's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And our church has about 70 leaders, 75 leaders. 2019, we want to make 500 leaders in this community. We want to enhance and disciple everybody. We want to put you through, th- through some classes. We want you to be filled in the spirit. And we want to increase this church to 500 leaders. And a leader means that you're following. And the Holy Spirit wants to use this leadership book to talk about when Jesus came from heaven to stay. And here's what it says. Titus chapter 3, verse uh, 4. It says, when God our Savior reveals his kindness and love, that means when Jesus came to this earth, he is the essence of kindness and love. He saved us, not because of our righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. This is an important verse because this tells us that when Jesus came, he came to bring love and kindness. But when he left, we are washed and we have new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Death is no longer our fear because we have life inside of us if we open ourselves up it continues he generously poured out his spirit uh, uh, through uh, uh, upon us through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and because of his grace he declared the righteousness and gave us confidence that will inherit the earth when we are filled in the spirit when we have this relationship with God through the Holy Spirit we actually then are guaranteed it's like a guarantee that we will make it to heaven And it also means 
that this is how God connects to us and creates this place of heaven on earth. This is like what heaven on earth would be. And we'll talk about that at the end of the sermon. So here's what I want to do. I want to do a little bit of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of information. I think it's super important. I have a sheet at the information table about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But I want to give you a few vital things about the Holy Spirit that a lot of times we don't realize. Number one, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is the most important part of a Christian walk. Why? Think about that for a second. It's because what's, it's what's left behind on how we communicate to God. Jesus is super important. God is super important. But the Holy Spirit for a Christian today is the thriving moment of our relationship. And we need to make it a part of our daily walk. It's vital. It's critical to every Christian. The New Testament is filled with great works of the Holy Spirit. Every gospel begins with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the movement of God through the Spirit. And that means today for us to really get into that place of holiness with God that we need the outpouring in our lives so that we can move in God's blessing. When Jesus left, the Holy Spirit became Christ's successor, right? At some point when I get old or I die of a heart attack on stage, hopefully that won't happen, I have a successor, and it's either going to be just Dustin or Jeremy or, I don't know, John. Jeremy's ready. But the successor with Christ was the Holy Spirit. And that successor then continues to do the work when Christ is at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit's job is to fulfill God's will upon earth. What is God's will? Love others, love God, love yourself. As you love yourself, not love yourself. That's the will of God. Here's some factoids, some things that we need to know about God. The Holy Spirit is equal with God. How do we know that? In Acts chapter 5, there's this moment where there's this husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, and they lie. And here's what Peter says in Acts chapter 5. You lie to the Spirit is just like lying to God. And instantly these two these couples died because they lied to the Spirit. And ultimately it was like lying to God. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 talks about the Spirit is the Lord. It says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And it also says in that same verse that the Lord is Spirit. And it talks about being equal with God. The Holy Spirit has characteristics, personal characteristics. It has its own intelligence. It has emotions. And it has its own will. But it's really God's will that it has. It has the will of God uh, beaming through it. But it has its own will. The Holy Spirit acts in personal ways. He teaches us, John 14. He commands us, Acts 8, and he intercedes for us in prayer. The work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit is critical. He also is the central part of our salvation. How are people saved? It's not by a message by me. It's not by a small group or somebody at chapel or something during the week. It's actually the work of the Holy Spirit that people are saved. At one moment, you heard the message of God and the Holy Spirit captivated your heart and lived inside of you and says, there's something in you that I want to change. And you received him as a Christian and you became part of the, 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 the living uh, body of God through the Holy Spirit. He directs and enables all the evangelistic efforts. He convicts the unbeliever of sin. If you've ever sat in church and felt terrible and you're living a sinful life, you realize that the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, there's something in your life that needs to change. It's holding you back from this beautiful, passionate, powerful relationship with God. And if you want to get that back, you're going to have to relieve yourself of this sin and live closer to God. 
and his will, and that's by inviting him into you. And the final part of the salvation says that the Holy Spirit regenerates or reborn or um, gives us this born-again mindset to save us as an individual. Titus said he saved us not because of anything that we did. He saved us by washing our sin and giving us new birth and new life, which is from the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to regenerate us and to cut away the old dross and to shave away the things that are holding you back and to bring you to a righteous place in, in the likeness of Christ. The final part is called the Holy Spirit is the central to our sanctification. Sanctification is a really weird word. We don't really understand it as a Christian body. Some of you smart people understand it. But here's what sanctification means. At one point, when I received Jesus in my life, I become saved, and I have this thing called salvation. Now, most people take their salvation, and they put it up in the garage behind the Christmas stuff, and they bring it out during Easter and Christmas, and it's not very powerful. What happens is this. Most of us bury our salvation and never take it back up. It's like, I'm saved, and I don't really need to do anything. Sanctification would say, sanctification is growing your salvation. When I receive this little gift from God, I am to work on it and grow in it so that my life grows closer to him and away from that knucklehead, Jeff Rodriguez. You guys know that guy? Not very many people in this room do. Thank God. So the sanctification is how people are saved. And here's three ways that it saves. He, he fills us as believers. He gives us spiritual gifts. And he dwells in us as believers. The filling of, the, of a believer, if you're a Christian and you're not filled in the spirit, maybe you've missed that. Maybe you missed that Sunday and you didn't get filled up. Filling of a believer is like, is anybody hungry? Honestly, is anybody hungry? Really? This isn't enough spiritual food for you? I'm hungry too, I promise I am. But being hungry, I need to feed myself. Or, or if you've drove in, my wife never has gas. I get in her car and I drive and it needs gas. And every time you got to go to the gas station, fill it up. Filling of the believer is that same way. And we need to really understand it. The filling of the spirit describes the crucial work of God enabling a believer to be transformed. If you don't feel transformed, the Holy Spirit's probably not working in your life. And you need that Holy Spirit to be transformed. You need the filling of the Spirit. The only way that we can grow spiritually is by the empowered work of God. Through the Holy Spirit, he gives us the capability and the willingness to change and become righteous. Righteous means right living. Not what you think is right. Nobody wants you to live the way that you think is right. You've been doing that for your whole life. You need to live the right way towards God. Spiritual growth is an issue of control. Anybody got control issues here? I was talking to a young lady right before service and talking about control. About 17 people raised their hand, and I know that's full of. 18. Yeah, 18. Thanks, John. <laughs> Spiritual growth is a control issue. We are either controlled by our self-centered, self-seeking ways, by our flesh, me, myself, and I, or we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. There's only one or the other. You are either choosing your will or you're choosing God's will. If you choose your will and you're in a crappy place, whose fault is that? No, yours, not mine. <laughs> 17 people said, your fault. It's not my fault. I got my own problems I got to deal with. You deal with your own stuff. We are either controlled by self or we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
Ephesians 5, 17 and 18 says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, live in this feeling constantly going, Lord, I want to be filled. I want more. I need more of you. 5.18 in Ephesians describes the controlling, empower, the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry called the work of the Holy Spirit. Filling is a metaphor of being in control. God wants to be in control of your life. He wants to fill you up so that all he has in you is part of God's plan. Although it's the Spirit's powers at work and it's always permanently inside of you, you must choose that. Do you realize that? At some point today, you're going to make a decision. We always do it on Sunday. Where are we going to eat? And we make a choice and we go. And sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's terrible. It's just like that with the Holy Spirit. You got to wake up and you got to say, not my will today, Jeff. I can't do it my way again because my life sucks. I'm distant from you, God. I feel dark. I feel lonely. I don't feel whole. I don't feel right. And I need more of you. And I need your power to come inside of me and be everything about me. If I don't choose to let God take over, I'm living in my own power. Even though the, sperm, the, the, permanent, uh, the spirit is permanent, the indwelling must be yielded. He must yield. If you don't yield, you won't experience the transforming power and the ultimate change to his likeness. A true experience of being filled in the spirit, people around you will know the truth of God. People around you will know the truth of who God is. There will be called what we call the fruits of the spirit and how God works. Christian life is to be facing trials and temptations and making decisions and choices and ultimately putting God first so that you can be whole and right with the glory of God. He wants to enable you to live a life with him. Listen, if you don't have a relationship with God and you don't feel the spirit inside of you, you're missing something in your relationship. And ultimately, I would say you might be living in a, a, a place of hell, of torment, of struggle. Because you're not connected to God, really. You have a biblical faith. You might have said the prayer, but you're not letting the Holy Spirit indwell inside of you. And there's darkness in your life. And there's distance. And the only thing you can do is right now make a space in your heart. Change your attitude. Change the atmosphere. Open up your heart, mind, and soul to something new. There's two more parts, and I can't really get into the last one, or one of them. It's called the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to give you gifts, teaching and, and, and leadership and exhorting and, and the, the gift of prophecy. And, you know, there's all kinds of gifts. And that's done by God. And we can do a whole series, and we probably will do a series next year. But God gives us gifts, and we have a spiritual gift test that we put on our app and online. It's in the resource section online or even in our app. If you want to take a spiritual gift test, we'd love for you to be a part of that. Go online and take that spiritual gift test. But the last part is this, and I need to get to this. I, I've made this decision that we're just going to talk through this. The last part is he wants to indwell in you. His whole plan from the beginning, before eternity past happened 
His plan was that I'm going to open up my people one day to this gift called the Holy Spirit. And when they accept that, and when they make that part of their everyday walk, their life will be radically transformed. You know what? This week, uh, I looked online, and I was looking for something to help with the indwelling of the Spirit, and I printed out this document, and the document says, what is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? And it's got 10 things on there, and it's at the front of the desk. I printed out a few of them, but here's the thing. Most of us aren't going to get a copy because I only printed out a few because my friend Kate put it on her app. If you look in resources on your app, I have it right here, you will find that it's at the bottom, and it's this gift of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we need a digital copy because if we have a physical copy, where does this end up? It's got ketchup on it and Starbucks and it ends up, you know, wiping ketchup on your face and cleaning the windshield and stuff like that. But if you have a digital copy, you'll never lose it. But what, here's what I want to do is I just want to read a handful. I know it's getting late and we're going to sing a song. But this is the most important part of the sermon. The Spirit wants to indwell in you. He wants to move out all the crap that's inside of you. He wants to change everything about you. Not because it's bad but he wants to switch it so the righteousness of God comes. So here's a few of these. It says, as the spirit lives in a believer, he brings out some changes. And then there's 10 things on here. Here's the first one. The indwelling spirit comes to a soul that is dead to sin and creates new life. When we feel dead inside, we're distant from God. When we feel nothing, we don't feel anything, we're distant from God. And the Holy Spirit says, just open up your little dwelling and let me be a part of your life. Open up your heart and let me be the centerpiece of your life. The dwelling in spirit installs a new believer to become a member of the universal church. When you truly accept the Holy Spirit and you make it a part of your life, you become a part of the Holy Spirit. They call this a second baptism or baptism of the Spirit. And it's something that we do at this church. Every Sunday at the end, we ask people to cross, uh, to accept Jesus. And we also say, Holy Spirit, come over them like Mary did. So it's two parts all in the same one. Most churches don't do that. Number five in this, it says, the indwelling of the Spirit helps a believer understand and apply Scripture. If you read the Bible and you never ask Holy Spirit, speak to me as I read, you're really just reading, you might as well read People Magazine, which is garbage. If you ask the Holy Spirit, He starts to speak, and all of a sudden you're reading something that I've read 15 times or 500 times, I'm like, whoa. Lord, you just spoke to me. There's a little bit of slice of heaven when you allow the Holy Spirit to speak. The dwelling of the Holy Spirit enriches life, uh, believers' prayer life and intercedes for them. It empowers us to believe in Christ and to do His will. And the last one says, it seals the believer unto the day of redemption so that when a believer's arrive to the Lord's presence, they have this eternal blessing. I don't know about you, but I want to make sure I make it. And every day I'm making sure that I'm connected with the Spirit because I want to make sure that I'm guaranteed going there. I want to close with this. If you open up your mind right now to God, and I'm not asking for a lot. The Bible says if you just give that faith of a mustard seed right now, if there's darkness in your life right now and you just crack it open a little bit and go, Lord, I'm so frustrated and angry and I'm scared and I don't understand it, but I'm going to open my life up. I did this. God revealed and he filled me up. If you'll do that right now, he will reveal himself. 
and he will start to change you. You know, last week we, we were, uh, Jeremy get up here and he was talking about what heaven is like to him. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but he was talking about baby Zeke. I love little Zeke. He's super cool. But at one point he was talking about, man, if, if, if heaven on earth is like, I'm doing Jeremy's accent so you guys don't know that. I'm doing the surfer thing because he's like, man, you know, for me, heaven on earth is like Zeke paddling out on this big wave, right? And you can see Tara in the background going, that's never going to happen, right? But Jeremy was sitting there and he was, it was a really cool part. He's like, man, my, my heaven on earth is Zeke paddling out one day on these big waves about two feet. You know, all these surfers really ride waves that are like this high, but they act like they're super high. And Jeremy talks about preparing Zeke and splashing water. And it's like, isn't that waterboarding? So we, me and Liz took Zeke this week to make sure none of that happened. But Jeremy's talking about heaven on earth is preparing his son. And it was really cool. It was a powerful part of the message because it was when we have to prepare now, you have to open up yourself now for the Holy Spirit. But here's some three images of my personal walk with Jesus Christ. And this is what heaven is like to me on earth. A couple of Easter's ago, my friend Kate was taking some pictures in the background and we were at this moment, which we're gonna be at in just a second, of worshiping God. And I came up here and started worshiping on an Easter Sunday and all of a sudden a bunch of people came with me. And for a moment, I was in heaven. I think we have a picture of that. For a moment as we were singing songs, it was like heaven on earth. The glory of God. The power of God. Another time that I can feel the, the experience, something I never really talk about because I couldn't really explain it, but there was a moment when I was with a couple of friends at the tomb of the garden. And we sat down and we played some worship and that moment in there was so powerful. We were singing and praying. God was speaking. It's hard to explain, but for me, I'll never forget that moment. And here's the last one. I'm a big family man, and I talk about my family a lot. And um, there was a moment this summer that was like heaven on earth. And here's what it looks like. We were out at Morro Bay, and my kids weren't complaining about something. You've never been on vacation with us. It's pretty hard. And we were just at Morro Bay, and all of a sudden, everything was right. We were taking pictures, and we were connecting with God. And for a brief moment, it wasn't about Starbucks and food. It was just about my family all celebrating Jesus and the beauty of this area. That's what heaven's like. Will you just bow your heads? If you need space in your life today for the Holy Spirit, will you just raise your hand? Father, we come before you today and we ask those that lifted their hand that there will be great space inside of them, an openness to this little seed of faith that will transform them as the Holy Spirit starts to dwell as we sing this song. If there's someone here that feels distant or apart from God or doesn't know Jesus, they can say this prayer of salvation and they can accept Jesus for who he really is, Lord and Savior. If that's you, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. You died and you rose again for my eternal life. And Holy Spirit, Come over my life, overshadow me and overtake me and take control of my life so that I can live with you all the days of my life. We love you, King Jesus. Work powerfully in these next few lyrics so that the Holy Spirit will take over. We're gonna have prayer up here. If you need more prayer, let God be glorified during this time of worship. Amen.